What's up, boss? This is Abraham's wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. That's a brief quality time out here in the treehouse today. Here's here's the forest of the treehouse. There's side of the treehouse. Here's my house. Today, I've got a special treat for you. If you recall that uh, this summer, when Mark and I went to Texas on our road trip, we had a hangout night with. Um, Abe's Wallet Dudes. That night, I met a wonderful man uh, named Johnny. I wish I could flip the camera around so you could see my dog way down below, but I, I don't know how to do that. I was fascinated by Johnny because uh, in short order, I found he has a heart for the Lord. He has successfully built a family over decades. Um, I honor anybody along the way who's trying to piece together a godly plan as I am. Um, but I also really like for us to uh, see some people who, who've done it. They, they, they actually did it from, from beginning to finish and they get to experience some of the fruits of that success. So I think that's helpful for us to look at these gray beards. I've said about myself that I like to collect gray beards. Uh, the scripture says there's wisdom in hanging around wise people and um, it would be smart of us to intentionally do so. So I'm collecting Johnny Phipps for you. Uh, here's some really rich stuff just about how Johnny put his family together. So I'll throw it over. Which way would that be? This way. I'm gonna throw it over to the future. Here, here's here's our convo. Now then, hi Stephen. You're coming to me from sunny Arlington, Texas, which is somewhere between the Dallas and the Fort Worth of Dallas, Fort Worth. But is we it, say Fort Worth, Dallas. I don't say Dallas, Fort Worth. I I see. I I appreciate that. The interview's over <laughs> if you give Dallas prominence. We're out of here. Okay, because you're a Fort Worth boy. Well, like Eamon Carter, one of the founders of Fort Worth, used to say, Fort Worth is where the West begins. Yes. Dallas is where the East peters out. <laughs> well, I know that when I want to uh, see Longhorns crossing the road, I head to the Fort Worth stockyards and also a great rodeo there. Amen. Johnny, we want to learn a little bit about your life. How would you contrast the way that you were raised to the family that you ended up leading? Well, I think there's not that much contrast. I think it's, uh, I think our family, my family, was modeled very much after the way I was raised. Okay. I would venture a guess that you had to work harder and swim upstream to maintain the kind of family that you were raised in, whereas it was more normative when you were a child. Uh, you're very wise, Stephen. I mean, yeah. my, 
Hood was very Leave It to Beaver. Uh huh. If your listeners have any clue of what, they <laughs> right? We might have to insert some footage so they would understand what that is. Boy, Beaver, wait till the guys find out you were hanging around with a girl. Boy, they'll really give you the business. But gee, Wally, you hang around with girls. The guys don't give you the business. Well, that's because I'm in high school. You can do a lot of stuff in high school without getting the business. I mean, I was very much a leave it to Beaver, stay home mom. Dad got up with the, the lunch kit, with the coffee thermos. Yes. Went to work in the station wagon every day. And I was home with mom. Okay, so now take us to your early married years and some of the decisions that you made that would have far-reaching implications that you're still benefiting from today. Julie was raised different than me. She was raised with a stay-home mom and a working dad, uh, but not a Christian home as I was. You know, I would hear my mom and dad at the end of the hall, the other end of the hall, praying and reading the Bible at night. Wow every night what a blessing oh my gosh and uh julie you know no not at all the only time she heard jesus was you know as an invective when when the lawnmower broke yes you know, they, his her dad would call on jesus <laughs> so when we first got married Stephen, we both kind of looked at each other and said do you want kids man i don't know do you want kids right and we were double income dinks is what they were called back in the day yeah Doubling, no kids and went on lots of caribbean and ski vacations and enjoyed our two incomes and then we had a uh, christian financial seminar at, at uh, our church back in 85 we'd been married two years and um we were kind of roommates because we were both working full time and I was in advertising working in Dallas, you know, 12 hour days were the norm because of the commute and because of the job. And Julie was a controller at the, at a company and working on her CPA, trying to get that going to school at night, and blah, blah, blah. We were roommates very yeah. much. And man, my wife just about had a nervous breakdown. Something's got to change. And this seminar came up at about that time. It was a guy named Wayne Coleman. It was called Obedience, the Key to Prosperity. And it okay, was I like it. principles about no debt and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, emergency fund and baby steps and all that kind of stuff. And we made a decision that summer that Julie was going to quit her job. There was no kids yet. She was going to quit her job, be a homemaker, take care of our home, cook, you know, let me go to work and concentrate on work. And she took care of everything else. And uh, we made that decision in the summer of 85. And um, life changed. I think I told you about that decision. That was a, that was a million dollar minimum decision we made. It was as if you were at one of those railroad switching stations and you got on a completely different track for the next 50 years of your life. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting that this decision was made before you had children and before um, 
before the mechanics of the house necessitated her being at home, you guys made a decision. We want her heart at home. Yes. And I'm reading a book right now called Family Fortunes. The subtitle is How to Build Family Wealth and Hold On to It for 100 Years by Will and Bill Bonner. That's Billy the Kid's name. Bonner was his real name. All right. Wow, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Anyway. So this book, which I'm sure we're going to review on this podcast at some point because I'm fascinated by it and really like it but they go into more depth than you would expect talking about the matriarch role and that if you want to build short-term luxury, then what you should do is maximize income and everybody should work and make money. If that's your goal. But if your goal is building a long-lasting family, and I like to quote the Bible saying, whose name will never be removed from the earth. If you're trying to build a family, then the matriarch role is of utmost importance, that there is a relationship aspect to um, maintaining heartstrings to, to working, not just somebody like a, like a man would do to declare a value. Oh, we have this value of thrift. But to take that, those values and inch by inch and step by step to build them into children, to let them see what that looks like in the grocery store, clipping coupons, for instance, um, to, to do the work of navigating interpersonal conflict to do the work of, you know, how many times I tell my children, you have, to, you have to tell your children over and over, this is your best friend, and this will be your best friend for your whole life. You know, you have to tell, you have to ingrain that into children's hearts. And that role of matriarch, one, sets, sets the man free to go really pursue income and go pursue a career in ways that will be really demanding of him at, at, at certain points and stressful. And they take up all of your brain space and all of your emotional space sometimes. But if you're trying to do a halfway job, because you know, I've got also got to go home and I've got to deal with all the home problems instead of going, you know what? I've got an expert in that world that takes care of me and everybody else on that front, blah, blah, blah. I'm just, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to um, expand on that simple little decision that you said that you and Julie made that she would stay home. It's a profound decision. Amen. Anything else you want to say about that until you get to the math, which I am interested in? Well, I mean, I'm all over that. I mean, I could have written that book 30 years ago. Because, I mean, part of that decision, Stephen, was based on biblical values. I was raised with a mom like that. Uh, part of it was based on the mental health of my wife at the time. It, it just wasn't fair for her to work all day. And she had a controller's job, an important job. Yeah. And then trying to study for this 
CPA exams. You're probably familiar with those. Yeah. Um, I mean, she was losing it. And our marriage, it wasn't suffering, but it we had no intimacy. We were both putting on the pants and getting up and we spent nights, weekends running errands and taking care, you know, yeah, it was, and it had our decision, like you said, was pre-kids had nothing to do with kids. It had everything to do with our marriage, sanity. How does God want our family to look? What does Julie's role need to be? What does my role need to be? And, you know, fast forwarding, what came out of that is Julie JB, who I call her, Julie Bell, <laughs> she took care of home. She took care of errands. I took care of work. It wasn't chauvinistic. It wasn't, honey, you just stay home and you just iron and puts around. And <laughs> you know? No, I mean, her job was 10 times harder than mine. Yeah. I, especially when you factor in kids. Yeah. Uh, but it allowed me, Stephen, like you said, like this book says, I could concentrate on providing for our family and I could give my employer, which was only right, I could give them 110%, mm -hmm. not 80% because my mind's at home. Yeah. Or I'm thinking about errands at lunch or I got to go to buy the cleaners or I got to call the electric company. Yeah. I, I employer 110%. And I advanced in my career. I got raises. I got more responsibility. I got more stress. I got more hours. But I knew that home was okay. Yes. Especially, you know, fast forwarding with kids. And when I came home, there wasn't errands to run. It was family time. Whenever I got home, we had time for each other. We had Saturdays, if I had them off, for each other. Because our de delineation of duties was very clear and we felt very biblical, not chauvinistic. I don't want her job, Stephen. Right. Let me, let me put on the pants and go to work. Right. Let me fight the traffic. I'd rather do that than I, I, I could not be a stay home mom, a stay home dad. Yeah. No. So anyway, I, I'm, I'm all over that. I, like I said, I think I could have wrote that book that came 30 years later that you just are talking about. Yeah. And, and tell me, um, well, I'll just make this point because I'm trying to imagine people's objections even to hearing this. You know, um, Ad, Adam named Eve uh, the mother of the living. And, and there's something about the nature of a woman that's different than the nature of a man. So I... I will, if anybody wants to hang me on this, I'll tie the noose myself and say, men and women are not interchangeable. And our society wants to treat men and women as if, well, you can do whatever role you want. I mean, what you can negotiate amongst yourselves. What roles would you like? What roles would I like? And then we'll just do the jobs that we feel more, the most comfortable with. And if a man feels the most comfortable at home with the babies, that's fine. And if a woman feels mo most comfortable or she has a higher earning potential than the man, then great. I'll just say men and women are not interchangeable. And the roles that God has made us for, we don't have to feel like we like them. That has actually has nothing to do with it. Whether you feel like you like the roles or not, 
you should learn to like the role that God has given you as a husband and a wife because he's created a team. So um, if you're tall, if you're six foot 11 and you want to play basketball, you should feel comfortable, get comfortable playing on the inside. Just get comfortable doing it because that's what your body is saying. Oh, Put me on the inside. Yeah. So, how'd you know how tall my wife is? <laughs> yes. Just kidding. Just kidding. That's what drew you to her in the first place. Now, tell, tell us the math. You put, you put pencil to paper and said, I thought about this uh, decision for her to not work. Well, you know, at the time, that wasn't on the radar, but in hindsight, looking back, because we have facilitated and taught uh, financial peace classes for 20 years at church. Um, and it's funny how this math came up later. And I got to thinking about that decision back in 1985 that we made for Julie to stay home. Because we, back in 85, we were both making high 40s. We were both making like 47.5 you know, call it $50,000, which was a dang good salary in 1985. Sure. What's the equivalent of that now? 250, who knows? And then I thought, you know, this was 10 years ago when I kind of did this math, 30 years of Julie not working, 30 years of not, not putting her $50,000, living off one income, which we did, 30 years of not putting her $50,000 in the bank, do the math. I mean, no raises, no compounded interest, just simple math. What's 30 times five? That's $1.5 million yep. that we didn't have because of the decision. Right. For her to put in some compound interest, put in some raises. We're talking three, four, five million dollars because we lived and we're gonna live on one income. That was a, that was a million dollar decision, easy money in the simplest of math. Yep. And zero regret, could I use another million dollars now? Does a bear poop in the woods? Yeah, right. Sure. Sure. But our quality of life, her role, like you were referencing, you couldn't buy it for a million dollars. That's right. I couldn't replace her for a million dollars. If I had to go put out a resume, put out a job description, I need this person for the next 30 years of my life. I couldn't have got it for a million dollars. Yeah. And just, just to make the point, she had a lot of skill, a lot of intelligence and a lot of training to do what she was doing. So it was a sacrifice for her to say, I'm, I'm burning those ships and I'm saying that career that I trained for and prepared for and I became a high earner, I'm letting it go. And um, that's not insignificant. And I think that a lot of people think, well, if I'm, um, if I'm a woman who's uh, 30 or around there and I've worked and trained to have a career, well, I, of course I could never let it go. I mean, I trained for this or we took out loans for me to be in this position. But what you're saying is what you, what you found in the value of raising a family was inestimable. You couldn't put a dollar amount to what you experienced um, in your marriage 
and in your and in your family life? Well, two things to to comment on that: um, the quality of life. You know, forgive me, but it we had a leave it to beaver kind of life on Trail Lake Drive, which is where I'm sitting right now with Julie being a stay home mom. And little did we know later on, I would start my own business, a one man advertising graphic design company and her skills were invaluable. Again, she took on that part of the business, the accounting, the payables, the receivables, the taxes, all that. So I could concentrate on clients, on projects, doing my job. And I didn't have to jack with the accounting end of our business. She right. took care of it because she loved it. She liked spreadsheets. I like coloring sheets. Huge. <laughs> I mean, just, that's it. And I could do my coloring sheets all day, bill clients money for it. She could take care of the accounting so that I didn't have to do it every night and on weekends like most guys would do that were doing yes. what I and and she was filling her happy place because she likes ledgers. She's the old school with the big giant ledger with the 17 columns. That yes. Her, God had that in mind. The soundbite for what Julie did is that modern culture would um, demean her for staying at home and helping her own family and helping you in your uh, business but would champion her to go out into the world and help someone else's family. Yeah. That is to serve another man somewhere and help his bottom line and help his business. But what she did was she brought all of those skills, all of those talents, all of that training, and she brought them to you and said, how can I help what you're trying to do for our family? Which is a massive difference. You could have hired somebody to do the yeah. same work. But that we're talking about heartstrings. We're talking about relationship here. And so for her to bring all of that intelligence and that talent and that skill and, and invest it back into you, ergo her own home, is a beautiful thing. Well, and for decades, Steve and her friends have asked her, what do you do all day? Uh-huh. How do you not get up and go to work? What do you do all day? And I mean, Julie would would answer that with I can't even get done every day what I need to get done and she's been doing it for 40 30 40 years now Let's, to be the provider yes so what was the next important thing that you saw in the formation of your family um well the raising the kids you know we decided of course we wanted kids and boy when we decided you know, boom, the next week she's pregnant, of course, which is fine. And it was just so special because she, again, I wasn't in my own business then. I was working at an ad agency in Dallas, you know, the 12 hour days and she could take care of home. She could take care of nurturing that child. But the great thing about it was when I got home from work, whenever it was, sometimes late, sometimes on time, I didn't think about work. I turned on the dad role, the husband role. You know, I'd walk in the front door. She'd hand the kid to me and mm -hmm. go, welcome home, honey. You're on. Yeah. And 
you know, and I would take off my coat and tie and put on my dad clothes and wrestle on the floor, change diapers, do baths, do Bible stories, read, sing, whatever. Yes. You know. And I loved it because I could forget about work. She could shift gears and take care of, of supper, you know, the chauvinistic world that we <laughs> leave it to Beaver. You know, I'd come home and she'd have on her pearls. Her uh. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and one, a side note of that, Stephen, one thing that I had to address that we had to address was, you know, I was at an ad agency in Dallas and the girls there were dressed to the nines every right. day. Right. And Julie knew that, but she had to trust. I had to give her confidence that she was all the woman I ever needed because I was around great looking women eight, nine, 10, 12 hours a day because they were putting on their best to go to work because people dressed up for work back then. They didn't wear, you know, hoodies and pajama pants. Yes. Like they do now. Give me yes. a break. Give me started. Yep. Um, and I had to, you know, because when I got home, she didn't look like the women that I left an hour ago in Dallas. Yep. She looked like she'd been at home all day messing with a kid and hadn't got to look in the mirror and put on her makeup yet. Sure. But I have to hand it to Julie. She did her best to spruce up a little bit and put on the happy face when she knew that I was coming in and walking in through the kitchen door. And I love that because yes. I know she cared about it. But at the same time, she had to put her hope, faith, and trust in the Lord and in me to be a one woman man, which I was, and yeah. I have been, and I never have. <clears throat> but part of it is she had to put in some kind of effort. That's such a great little side point because it, and I appreciate you saying it because it's so foreign to 2022 culture. Yeah. The, the idea right now is um, you, you must love me for me. And the way that I present myself is 100% about self-expression. It's about me and the way that I want to feel and what makes me comfortable. And if we have the wisdom to look backwards at successful marriages, we'll see, as you said, the word was, why wouldn't I just make some effort? And, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, he makes it very clear that the way that we manage our bodies should have our spouses in mind. Mm. So right now, Mark is growing a, a comical, it's just one man's opinion, comical mustache. When the question comes, why are you growing a mustache? The answer comes, my wife likes it. So that's a really good, that's a good answer. <laughs> Whether you are uh, doing uh, chest workouts or trying to get rid of the spare tire for your wife's sake, you should do so. And if a wife realizes, oh, my husband's coming home, it's not um, chauvinistic and backwards for her to go, I'm going to just look in the mirror for two minutes, put my hair in order, whatever else she wants to do to think. I'm making an effort for my spouse. We, we talk about, well, the, we used to talk about, I don't really hear this 
um, talked about much anymore. But the the regular um, pursuing of your spouse and the and the regular winning of their affections, and that more is the thought that um, I should presume upon their affections and I should presume that I have their heart as opposed to. No, it's actually on me to win my wife's heart regularly and to show her kindness and consideration. Yeah. And, and anyways, yeah. I, I, yours was a generation that wasn't embarrassed by that idea. And I think it's really noble. To some people, it may seem very chauvinistic, but I yeah, think of it's course. I, I really do. I think it's biblical. Yeah. And I think it's only fair for me to look my best for my wife but before that, I mean, this is the temple and <laughs> I'm supposed to take care of it. I want to be around a long time for my yes. kids, my grandkids, maybe my great grandkids someday. Yes. So I got to take care of that for them and for my wife. And I'm doing it selfishly because I want her to stay healthy, to stay in shape, to stay trim because I, I like my wife and yeah, right. I like to look at my wife. You know, I've counseled young men and young dads, young husbands for years and years because God put that on my heart, men and boys. Um, and I tell young men, young husbands, and I tell young wives, you know, your greatest defense, a husband's greatest defense against addiction, against porn, against sexual immorality is his wife, you know, and mm -hmm. if I'm talking to the wife, I look at her and I say, your husband's greatest defense is you. And you owe it to your husband to look your best, to make his eyes want to go to you. Wow. Don't That's give great. your husband a reason to look somewhere else because you're not taking care of yourself. That's not fair. That's great. God made your husband visual. Sorry, mom. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> he made your husband visual. And so you need to play up to that. You need to take advantage of that. You need to give him a weapon, a defense weapon against the sexual immorality in this world. And his best weapon is you. That's great. If you're hot and you're in shape and you're sexy, if your husband's pretty normal, He's going to notice that he's going to turn to you first. Yes. And you know, as well as I do, Stephen, men are microwaves, women are crockpots. It's a physiological difference. We have a buildup that occurs in us that women don't get. Yeah. And that's the way God made us. We got to have a release. I mean, jokingly in our house, we call it, you know, an oil change. A maintenance. I'm sorry, but it's the truth. It's the way God made us. Expand on that because I've heard that, but I think probably our, many of our listeners haven't. What do you mean when you say um, men are a microwave and women are a crockpot? Well, you know, it takes a man about three and a half seconds to get stimulated. Uh huh. You know. It can be a commercial on TV. It can be a girl that walks by. It can be preferably his wife walks by and boom, there's, there's stimulation. There's excitement. He's ready. Yeah. Well, I don't know about you, but I think maybe there's negative one and a half percent women 
that have ever been created that function that way. Yes. I know there's a few, but a woman takes, she's got a lot on her mind. She takes relaxation. She takes manipulation. She takes a good massage. She takes whatever, a candle, soft music, a nice mm-hmm. dinner. You know, what's it take us? You know, <laughs> two and a half seconds and a coupon from Arby's. I mean, we're yeah. ready to go. It, it takes one. It takes one button on the shirt that was act has accidentally come undone. That's all it takes for us. Boom. And I'm I'm thankful for the way God made me. Uh huh. I got and I want to talk to him when I get there because God, why the why the 180 degree contrast between how you made me and how you made my wife? Yeah. But it's okay. We've you know 40 years of marriage. Next year we've worked through that. We have an understanding. Awesome. I think about it 10 times more than she does. We're both aware of that. It's almost a joke sometimes. We have an analogy in our house that relates to nature. It relates to the, are you familiar with a garden spider? You have those? The big giant black and yellow. They're about this big with their legs fully. No. Uh, The technical name is a, is an argiope but they're okay. garden spiders they're black and yellow and all you ever see is the female because the female builds a beautiful nest up in the eaves of your house every about now they're building them and then she is there patient she waits the male is a fraction of the size of the female which i don't really understand but that's kind of common in nature yes he comes up when he's in the mood he comes up to the edge of the web and kind of makes the web vibrate. Okay. It, which sends a signal to the female that's sitting in the middle of the web. If she's in the mood, score. <laughs> he does his business. He's out of there. She stays, builds the egg sack. If she's not in the mood, she eats him. <laughs> she eats him. He's hosed. So we kind of have a little saying around the, our house about you know t- about shaking the web or that kind of thing it's a it's a little thing we have between my wife and i about the uh, web because she's familiar with the, the garden spider too and it's pretty hilarious it's pretty cruel it's pretty the sad. web the web is shaken very gingerly knowing yeah. one's one's life is in one's hands tentative web stimulation uh-huh. yes. <laughs> yes but you know Stephen, i mean I can't imagine the the numbers of married couples who don't have a great intimate relationship. I know oh, it's yes. staggering, and yes. which leads to divorce, which leads to infidelity, which yes. leads to pornography. It's just so sad because God created sex for marriage. The marriage bed is pure. The marriage bed is whatever you want to do that both of you are okay with you know i'm not talking about bringing in monkeys and chainsaws (laughs) i'm just talking about whatever makes your wife happy and feels good whatever makes you happy and feels good you're both good with it okay we're so blessed that we communicated about that if we had our ups have our if we got crossed sure we had but we've addressed that and realized that God made me the way I am. 
God made Julie the way she is. We got to work this out. And it's in the best interest of our marriage. It's in the best interest of my fidelity and my one woman man that I want to be that oil changes are just part of life. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's dinner and candlelight. And sometimes it's the 15 minute Jiffy Lube job because you got to be at church in 45 minutes and that's all there's time for. (laughs) You can, you can edit that out, buddy, but that's just, that's the way God designed it and us and, what what you're making me think of as you're talking, Johnny, is I appreciate you being um, frank um, because it's definitely true. We know that it's statistically true that sexual alienation among spouses is super common. And mm-hmm. I, I think one of the roots of that is simply not talking the way that you're describing yeah, having yeah. having honest conversations about this is the way I am, this is the way that you are, and simply negotiating and talking about, listen, I want you to be happy. And, and I, I want us to work toward that end. I also don't want to be sexually frustrated because, uh, because that leads to all sorts of darkness. And, and simply having those conversations, I think is pretty rare. Um, and, and if I can guess... I think it's rarer now than it was 40 years ago because there's all sorts of dark holes that one can find to go into. And there's all sorts of hiding that we can do with, with our sex lives that, that was more un, much more uncommon. If I just want to read this verse that you're referencing, it's Hebrews 13, four, it says marriage is honorable among all. And the bed, the marriage bed, is to be undefiled, kept pure. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. And so that keeping of the marriage bed pure um, is crucial, is integral to having a healthy, God-honoring marriage. And I'm glad you're you're, uh, pointing it out and talking about it a little bit. Well, and I know we didn't, in our preamble, in our pre-communication, we didn't even address talking about sex. It was more about family relationships and finances and that kind of thing. But, man, if if you don't have the sex part nailed down in marriage, you're hosed. Because it is the essence, it's the very rawness of what God created man, created woman, cleave, become one. Yeah. I mean nothing else matters if you ain't got that figured out you can have all the money in china yeah you can be the most successful guy on the planet country club big house nice cars but if y'all aren't transparent and communicating and being intimate what do you got yeah when the when the lord says the two shall become one flesh he was being explicit and that there, there was a book written uh, years ago. This was probably early '80s, called "The Act of Marriage." It was about. Yeah. It was a sex book, and I, read it. I, I think that was a great title, "The Act of Marriage." Yeah, I mean, we. I feel like you and I could talk for days. I really do. Yeah. <laughs> I really do. 
maybe we'll have to do this again. But I well, I, like it, it has it has uh, it it has dawned on me since we've been talking, Johnny, that this will be at least a part one and part two. But I would like to re we'll real quickly revisit that you mentioned you, Mister uh, Right Brain, artistic type. You taught uh, financial peace, um, which was people don't know what that is. It's, it's a Christian way to get your finances under control. And it's something that everybody in the church can kind of go through and kind of get, get your, get examined and kind of see this is where we're at and what are the steps we need to take. Can I ask why? Julie has always listened as a stay home mom, stay home wife. She's always listened to, to, to talk shows, mostly Christian based faith-based talk shows uh for wisdom i mean focus on the family dobson helped us raise our kids yeah you know just just the christian biblical and i should say biblical Stephen, more than christian biblical wisdom about awesome. kids about family which trickled over into marriage which trickled over into finances and she ran across dave ramsey 25 to 30 years ago in his radio program listened to him for several months and came to me and said Johnny I think I think you'd like this guy because I was raised with biblical financial principles not because of any marketing but just because that's what mom and dad did they had no debt they had one income they paid cash for stuff but it had nothing to do with some marketing scheme or some program or some, you know, they didn't have those back then. Um, so I was raised that way. And I felt that way when we got married, I started listening to him. And then we found out that he had um, like back then a VCR series that you could teach at church. Uh -huh. We looked into it, signed up for it, became coordinators and started having, you know, a couple of times a year. And uh, we just fell in love with it. We saw what it did, Stephen, for people's lives. We saw what it did for the church. We saw what it did for marriage. And to, to touch on something that you mentioned a while ago, it made couples communicate. Yes. Because they could not go through the course successfully with, unless they talked, unless they talked about the lesson, unless they talked about the debt snowball unless they talked about saving, unless they talked about credit cards, they had to communicate. They yeah. had to. Awesome marriage counseling tool. And, you know, you say, well, me and right brain and, you know, but it worked because Julie loved the financial structure, bookkeeping side of that course, keeping records, keeping track keeping a check register. What's that? <laughs> you know, she's all over that. Oh yes. And I was all over the people part of it, the visual part of it. I was the guy that, you know, that drew this week's lesson on the dry erase board. Yes. Funny things with starburst and yes. that kind of thing. I mean, we were our own case history because we had made that decision to go to it at one income many mm -hmm. years in the past. We had made the million dollar decision that that idea came up because of, of facilitating FDU classes. You can do it. 
you can live on one income. No, you can't live like the guys next door. Yes. We made that decision years ago to not let our lifestyle increase with my, with our income. We lived conservatively. Did we do without some things? Sure we did. Yeah. We didn't have a brand new car like the Smiths next door. Yeah. We didn't have a new house. We've been in this house for 30 years as of two months ago. Our house and our vehicles don't compare to our peers. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Our home life doesn't compare to our peers, our family life. Rock on. You know, like I said, Julie, what does your wife do all day? I don't know. She's busy. She never watches TV and eats bonbons. Yep. Busy. She does stuff. She takes care of our home. She takes care of our house. I fix things that break. You know, I lift the heavy stuff because I'm stronger than she is. Well, she's better with numbers than I am. I got Mm -hmm. no problem with that. Yeah, great. Um, So it was a great partnership, just like our marriage, in, in facilitating those classes. I think that was your original question. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was just curious to me that you, that you personally found importance in taking the people that you wanted to influence and the people that you wanted to uh, save, if you'll allow me to use that word, you wanted to save them from trouble and you thought, let's deal with finances for them. The scripture says where your treasure is, your heart's going to be there too. So when we open up somebody's checkbook and now that is now, uh, as you know, uh, a metaphor because no one has what? checkbooks. What do you call that? <laughs> when we open up someone's finances, we find what's important to them because oh, yeah. that's where money goes. Um, just to put a bow on the end of this, we, we heard about the formation of your family and some, some value calls that you guys made early on. By the way, I want to throw in uh, a proverb that comes to mind hearing you, t- hearing you talk. It's Proverbs 24, 3. By wisdom, a house is built and mm-hmm. understanding puts it in good order. So even mm-hmm. you mentioning that Julie decided to leave her career before there were children in the home, what was really happening is that wisdom and understanding was putting your home in order. Your home was being constructed in a way that it could receive children. It could receive a new business. It could receive all of the decisions and challenges that were going to come your way because the spirit of wisdom and his name is Yehovah. The spirit of wisdom was putting your home in order. So we talked about that establishment of your home. Let's just, before we end today, let's jump way to the end. And I will just ask you maybe some current goings on to prove your answer to this question. Did it work, Johnny? Yeah, it's working every day, Stephen. I mean, sure, there's trials. Sure, there's tribulations. You know, we have adult children. And that's a whole different thing than toddlers or teenagers. Um, but God is faithful. Our children love the Lord and are following the Lord and are leading their families. Incredible. That, which is only God. Sure, we laid a foundation. 
uh, we had our kids in church every Sunday. We, they heard the Bible stories, laid the foundation. I wouldn't trade for how they were raised. Um, and we're seeing it now. And, it, and the Lord's just as much a part of our daily lives now as he was in all the different chapters that we've had. And, you know, it kind of, kind of freaks me out, Stephen. I'm going to be 67 on Monday. What happened? <laughs> I was 27. Like right. Right. Good night. But it's, oh, it's, I can just see the Lord's hand and all these different things. And again, I feel like you and I could talk for hours about the things that the Lord has obviously done, obviously prepared us for, obviously orchestrated at the time. It might seem like our world was falling apart when I lost my job of 10 years and I got two kids and a wife at home. We're going to have to live in a van down by the river. You're living in a van down by the river. But he was preparing. I love what you said a while ago. Never thought of it that way of how God was preparing us by Julie leaving her career for our home to accept children, our home to accept ultimately a business, our home to accept multi-generational living. I had no clue of that. I was just trying to pay the light bill. Yes. <laughs> you know, how yes. are we going to do this? How can we buy it? We need a new car. But I like what you said about that because we can look back. Man, it's so obvious what God was doing with the chess pieces that we couldn't see. Maybe thank goodness we couldn't see over the horizon. There's a reason there's a horizon. And only God can see over the horizon, but man can't. Because we couldn't handle it. Did you have the story, Johnny, of your children um, uh, dispersing and going to different parts of the country after they left your home? Well, yeah. Bill went to China for three and a half years. Meredith went to Bogota, Colombia for a year with her husband. God, what is going on here? Yes. We're doing the leave it to beaver thing. Remember? Yeah. Remember the plan? They live in the same town. My son found his wife over there in China. It's all good. And you know, as well as I do, that my son lives that way about 150 feet. And my daughter lives that way about 100 yards all the way from China and Colombia. And here we are on the same street, on the same cul-de-sac. I know that's another show perhaps <laughs> that that's just how i wanted i just wanted to end today with the fact that you um and you can correct me if i'm wrong i'm i'm projecting a lot of my past and experience onto you but i i, I don't think this language was much used uh 30 years ago that you would have started out and say we have a multi-generational family vision but you had a vision for a godly family and what you're living now is multi-generational family. You're in your grandchildren's lives on a daily basis. They live across the street from you. You Sometimes are, hourly. say, what's that? Sometimes hourly. hourly. <laughs> and it makes your eyes do funny things. It's all right. <clears throat> And you are, you are part of the parenting story for your grandchildren. And the, the kind of 
American idea of when you live past your usefulness, that you will get shipped off and away and out of sight and out of mind. I don't think that's going to be the story for you and Julie, because you're, you're building something multi-generationally that not only um, honors the children as you have so much value that the whole family is here around you, but it also produces honor upstream. And the, the, the older members of the family, there's honor for them as well, because we see that family is so primary, we would sell our careers down the river for, our, for it. We would, we would arrange all of our finances around honoring God in our homes, because that's the role that he's given us to play. I, I'm going to throw another proverb on top of you. Um, and that is, and that is Proverbs 16, 9. We, we've heard this one. In his heart, a man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. When I first heard that in my younger days, it was presented to me as if, look, good luck making plans because they're not going to work. And God is going to end up doing whatever he wants to do in your life. That's not what the proverb says. The proverb says, do make plans, make plans and have goals and have vision. And as you walk them out, the Lord is so good and faithful that he will interject and interrupt your plans if that's what he needs to do to be glorified in your life. And the plans that he likes, he will aid you in those plans and they will come about in ways that you never knew that it was possible. So in, in his heart, a man makes his plans and the Lord directs his steps. He, he yeah. enters in, he can edit, he can say, we don't need that. You thought that was important. It's not. And he yeah. weaves himself into the story. That's what I see for you is that you, I don't know if you dreamed about what it would be like when you were 67. Um, that feels like a a mist to me. Um, I, I think of grandparenting days with excitement, but I'm not, I'm not able to put my mind around the specifics of what it will look like. But yeah. in your story, you and Julie had some prayers, visions, and dreams about which way you would go. And what you found was the Lord entered the story and has worked in ways you couldn't have imagined so that your children are they're on the same street with you. I mean, I, I find it profoundly amazing. It is. We had, we had no clue. That was my son-in-law's idea and dream. I have to hand it to Mike. That was mm -hmm. his. I didn't ever think about it, ever. I mean, but I just want them to live in the same county, you know? Yeah, sure. But you did pray for the son-in-law who would come to be. Well, since Meredith was a little girl, I prayed for her mate. And since Bill was a little boy, I prayed for his mate. But, but God is so amazing because I never even dreamed that Bill would get his wife from the other side of the planet. But she's the sweetest thing that ever happened to our family. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, who'd have thought? Who'd have thought my son would marry a girl from China, a sweet little She's awesome. She's the best thing that ever happened to Bill. She That's speaks great. better English than Bill does. That's great. 
Well, I haven't met Bill, but I've met Mike and I, we, we thank God for Mike because he's the reason that I know you. Yeah. So, well, thank you for giving us a little window into the genesis of the family that you have led and, and a little window into the way things are right now. We're going to revisit you, Johnny, and we're going to be talking about your family's unique relationship with land as well as the business that you started and what that what all that was like. Can we can we do this again sometime soon? At least once. Okay. <laughs> At least once. Good. I mean, I'm thinking I could start a podcast, but I don't like computers enough to do that. Yes. Well, I'm happy to give you and your stories and your wisdom as much of a platform as you need to get to scratch that itch, Johnny. Okay, I look forward to breaking bread together sometime. <laughs>